the theory in ACA is that the inner critical voice that we all have is really an inner critical parent. And the reason we call it that is that it's the internalized critical messages from our actual parents, caregivers, and or community around us. And we have internalized this to protect ourselves and keep us safe, keep us from harm. Hi, I'm Barb Nangle. I want to welcome you to my podcast, Fragmented to Whole, Life Lessons from 12-Step Recovery, where I help people heal their emotional, psychological, and spiritual wounds and make deep, lasting changes in their lives. I'm the founder and CEO of Higher Power Coaching and Consulting. I'm a boundaries coach who specializes in helping women who are focused on what others are thinking and doing and neglect themselves in the process. And I have coached hundreds of people on how to build healthy boundaries using my exclusive build framework. On this podcast, I share my experience, strength, and hope from recovery. I don't support or endorse any particular 12-step recovery fellowship, and I don't claim to speak for any particular 12-step fellowship. I also don't believe that 12-step recovery is the only way to recover. You might need additional help. I'm an avid beachcomber who collects sea glass, shells, wood, and stones. I am a formerly closeted fan of the Hallmark Channel, especially the Christmas movies. Hello, Christmas in July. I wear fingerless gloves from September to June because my hands are always cold, so I have about 15 pairs. And I get a huge kick out of counting how many days, weeks, and months there are until my birthday or Christmas at completely random times of the year. My hope is that you'll find my words concretely helpful in improving your life, whether you're in recovery or not. If you like what you've heard on this episode, please screenshot it and share it on your social media and tag me at Higher Power Coaching. This is episode 212, Nine New Methods I've Learned for Reparenting and how they've affected me. This is a follow-up to episode 181, where I talked about the five things I've done to repair myself. And boy, have things changed since then. I have been through some really radical changes in the reparenting department since that time, and the impact is just enormous. And I don't think I can really articulate how enormous it's been because it's mostly internal. If you haven't already listened to episode 181, you should probably do that first. It's linked in the show notes, or you can just pause this one and scroll to that episode in your app. If you're not familiar with this concept of reparenting, that episode will give you more background than what I'm going to give here, and it will also help you know what I've been doing or what I was doing up until that time so you can see how things have changed for me in the last few months. One thing I want to say is that I've been in a small ACA recovery group working on the Loving Parent Guidebook, which is fucking awesome, by the way. Shout out to my fellow travelers who worked on creating that book. Working in that group has a lot to do with some of these advances I've made. But the other thing that has a lot to do with these shifts and why they occurred at the specific time they did is that I listened to an episode of the Adult Child Podcast with Andrea Ashley, 
where she had Susan Anderson as her guest. This was on January 25th, 2023. The episode is called The Outer Child and Abandonment Trauma. I've also linked to that episode in the show notes. I have to give a huge shout out to Andrea who created that podcast. If you're not already listening to that, you should be. She is really getting the word out there to people that many, many of us are adult children and we suffer from childhood trauma and she's working to help us heal. She has many amazing guests like Susan on the show. Plus, she's created an entire community. Anyone interested in recovery for adult child issues should check it out. Okay, so anyway, I'd never heard the term outer child before, so I was intrigued from the get-go about this episode. I was in the middle of about a three-month period that really sucked ass. So this episode was very timely for me. And on the show, Susan talked about how if you really want to heal your inner child wounds, there are two things you need to do. One, you need to make consistent contact with your inner child, like two to three times per week. And two, make little tiny promises to your inner child and then follow through on them. So it could be something as simple as saying, I'm going to go for a five-minute walk now and then going for a five-minute walk. So it's just little tiny promises, which is where you build trust or maybe rebuild trust with your inner child. So I decided to start doing both of these things. I committed to connecting with my inner child three times a week by doing non-dominant handwriting, which I described in the previous episode. One of the things I asked about when I was writing to my inner child right after this whole Susan episode was I asked her about money because a bunch of weird things were happening that all had to do with money. And I asked her, how, did, how do you feel about money? And she was like, it scares me. I don't want to have to deal with it. And I wrote back and told her, here's the thing. You actually don't have to deal with it. I'm the grown-up and it's not your responsibility. I've got this. And in this non-dominant handwriting conversation, she told me that she wants an allowance. And I was like, okay, how about $5 a week? And she said, okay, good. And I also want you to take me shopping every week to spend it, which was totally what I was like as a kid. That phrase about money burning hole in your pocket, that was me. So I said, well, I can't promise that I'll take you shopping every week, but I will make an attempt to do it regularly. The next morning after that writing, I woke up and had this dark night of the soul, and then a whole cascade of memories about how I have literally been traumatized or had really serious drama for every fucking job I ever had before I got into recovery. So essentially, what I realized is that the way that I got money in the world involved trauma. Now, if you want to hear all about that story, then I talk about it in the two episodes about adult child traits in the workplace. Those are episodes 205 and 206. Those are also linked in the show notes. So I'm not going to go into detail about that there. 
Okay, so I start making more and more frequent contact with my inner child, and I also decided that just like having a photo of my inner child, my little one, to look at regularly, I wanted to make more conscious contact with my inner teenager, so I also wanted to have a photo of my inner teenager handy so I could more easily connect with her too. So I picked a photo of me when I was probably 16 where I was smoking a giant bong. I knew immediately that was going to be the picture that I wanted to pick because that was my teenage and young adulthood. I was fucking high all the time. And I put that picture on top of my altar slash top of dresser near the picture of my inner child. If you want to see that picture, DM me on Instagram and I'll share it with you. I have looked at that picture regularly and this desire to really connect with my inner teen for the first time came from my work in the Loving Parent Guidebook group. And one suggestion in that book is to imagine a safe place where you can go with your inner children. Picture where it is, what kind of items you need to feel safe and loved and protected. Maybe you need to have special blanket or stuffed animals or something like that. And they also suggest that maybe, just maybe, you might bring your inner critical parent into that space if it feels safe for your inner children. So let me put a pin in that for a second and say the theory in ACA is that the inner critical voice that we all have is really an inner critical parent. And the reason we call it that is that it's the internalized critical messages from our actual parents, caregivers, and or community around us. And we have internalized this to protect ourselves and keep us safe, keep us from harm. And it worked when we were children, and we know that because we're not dead. However, it is not helpful as an adult. In fact, it's fucking crippling. Now, when I did this exercise to find this place, to come up with a place, I chose a hotel made out of ice, which I saw in a Hallmark Channel movie. The movie is called Winter Castle, in case you want to see it for yourself. And if you know me, you know I love a good Hallmark movie. And when I saw this ice castle, which is really a hotel, I was like, oh my God, this place is fucking magical and beautiful and I have to go there. And yes, it is on my bucket list to go there. Well, one of the rooms at that hotel is my safe place. And for this exercise, I pictured my inner teenager and my inner child and my inner loving parent, big mama, in this room in this big cushy bed with lots of blankets and all kinds of yummy, cushy, soft stuff. And when the question came up of whether I might want to have my inner critical parent there, what popped up for me was that it was my dad, which makes total sense because he's the one I always had the most difficulty with growing up. And in the image in my mind, he was sitting in a folding chair reading the newspaper near the door. And it's not like I decided, okay, how's this going to go? It just sort of happened. So he was there in a folding chair near the door. And I thought, you know what? you can't be near the door because I need to be able to get out the door without any chance of you blocking me. So I had him move toward the back of the room so that the girls could get out of the room easily if they wanted to. 
And there were a few times when I was doing some of this inner child work that my dad appeared. But as I started making more and more conscious contact with my inner child, which was mostly through the non-dominant handwriting, as I described in the previous episode, there was a wider variety in the kinds of things I was experiencing and visualizing. And one of those is that I'm going to get into it in another episode another time. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I had an encounter with my dad where he was actually super loving and supportive. And I have now turned my dad, who is deceased, by the way, into an inner loving parent. I'm not going to go into that in detail. I just want to tell you, I'll tell you about in the future. But anyway, the way that all this inner work has happened for me is that there's a tiny little part of me that is deciding this is what I want to have happen in this visualization. But the vast majority of it has been like watching a show or something. But then I could intervene like I did when I moved my dad to the back of the room from the front of the room. But it's more like I'm watching something as opposed to directing it or orchestrating it. And this happens during some of the conscious contact I have with my inner child. And she, for example, let me know that she wants to have more toys to play with. So I negotiated with her that we could spend $25 on something. But if we did that, then she would get no allowance for five weeks. And so she was cool with that. And I bought her a Polly Pocket schoolhouse set up. Now, I am 60, so Polly Pocket was not around when I was little, but I saw it one time when I was going through the toy aisle in a drugstore, and I made note of that and several other things. And when I played with it, I had some really cool insights, one of which was that my inner child literally never felt safe and protected. And it made me really sad. So I felt those feelings of sadness, which she was never allowed to feel as a child. And that is a huge part of why we do inner child work, to allow our inner child to feel the feelings and be in a safe loving, and supportive environment when they feel them so that they can express them and get them out. One thing the ACA program tells us is that when we release the burden of unexpressed grief, we slowly move out of the past. That is, we can move away from the behavior patterns from our childhood and develop mature adult patterns Once we allow ourselves to feel and grieve that which we could not safely feel as children, those feelings are still inside us and they need to be let out in a safe environment. So reparenting ourselves is creating that safe environment and the safe relationship in which to have the experience. Another thing that happened through this reparenting process is that suddenly one day, this woman appeared on the scene and it was very clear to me from the beginning that she was my inner critical parent. So my dad was no longer the inner critical parent. Actually, I'm just now realizing probably because he took on this new role of the inner loving parent. Well, a few weeks after she was around or a few sessions, let's call them sessions, 
It came to me that her name is Irene. Now, I don't know where that came from. I just know that that's her name. She's this older white lady with really straight brown hair, straight bangs. She wears glasses, red lipstick. She smokes cigarettes. She's really thin, and she dresses in a way that she's like trying to dress younger than she actually is. And the first time I had an interaction with her, this is before I knew her name was Irene, I was like, listen, bitch, back the fuck off. And she was like, I'm going to the casino. And I thought, that's pretty interesting. Now, after that interaction, I remembered from my work with the Loving Parent Guidebook that the idea with the inner critical parent is to integrate them. It is not to have conflict with them. So the point is that we want to remember that the inner critical parent's goal is ultimately to protect us, to keep us safe and from harm. So we want to remember that the way they're going about it isn't really working, but their motives are good. So we want to focus on the motives and try to win them over with our inner loving parent so that they can trust that the inner loving parent is there and they can back off when they see someone else who's more loving is going to take over. So the next time I had an interaction with Irene, I don't remember what it was about, But instead of saying, back the fuck off, bitch, I started asking questions like, what are you trying to protect us from? What are you afraid of? And that sort of thing. And then after we had an exchange about that, I was like, are you good? And she was like, yeah, I'm good. And I said, do you want to go to the casino? And she was like, absolutely. So I have gotten some incredible insights from interacting with this character, Irene. And at one point, I said to her, what would you be doing if you weren't planning for all these worst case scenarios and stressing out these little inner children like this? And she was like, you know, I've always been fascinated by bonsai trees. And I was like, interesting, very cool. Why don't you investigate them? And then the next few times that I checked in with my inner family, Irene was like over in a corner, bending over a desk, reading something, and she kept saying, fascinating. These bonsai trees are fascinating. Now, I have no fucking idea where the whole bonsai tree thing came from, and I don't really give a shit about bonsai trees. So this is another example of how it's like a movie that I'm watching as opposed to something that I'm orchestrating. Now that I'm making more and more conscious contact with my inner family, it's like they're with me much of the time. I don't need to wait to do non-dominant handwriting to connect. Now, my plan was to do that non-dominant writing on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday nights, and I typically still do that at least for a few minutes those nights. But sometimes I do things like playing and having fun at those times, and I often listen to music from either my early childhood years or my teen years when I'm doing fun things like that. So here's what it's looking like more and more for me, though. When I realize I'm feeling pressure on my chest, I will check in first with my inner child to see, is there anything going on with her? And frequently, she's like, I'm good. And she's like sitting on the floor, sitting on the floor, playing with something. 
Then I'll check in with my inner teenager and, you know, she might tell me things like, well, I have to do X or I need to do this or I need to do that. And I might say something like, actually, you don't really need to do that. I'm going to be taking care of that from now on. I've got this. I'm the adult. I'm here. I'm not going to abandon you anymore. You can relax. And one time I said to her, if you weren't stressed out about all these things that you feel like you have to do, if you didn't feel like you had to be in charge of these things all the time, what would you be doing? And she immediately said, macrame. And I was like, oh, because that was a craft activity that I did quite a bit as a teen. So I went out and bought some macrame supplies. I am honoring what my inner children want. Anyway, back to what my check-in with my inner family looks like. If I check in with my inner teen and she seems to be okay, then I check in with my inner critical parent and say, okay, what's going on? And once when I said, "Uh, what are you afraid of? She was like, ruin. And I was like, holy shit, that is fucking dramatic. She's afraid of ruin. And that's just not how I, Barb, thinks at all. And it's so fucking far from what's actually going on that it's almost laughable, except that it's a real concern and I need to pay attention to it rather than dismiss it. At times like this, I'm reminded of something that Michelle Shalfant from the Adult Chair podcast says, which is that adults live in fact and truth. It's our inner teen that often spins the stories about worst-case scenarios. So one of the ways we debunk these bullshit inner scripts we have, like, I'm gonna be ruined, is by looking at fact and truth. The fact is we're nowhere near ruin, and even if I did lose everything, I could build it back up again. The truth is I have decades of evidence that I can rebuild my life because I've done it so many times. I went from bankruptcy to buying a home within nine years. I'm down over 100 pounds and have kept it off for more than five years after decades of carrying that weight around. I went from scanning the horizon at all times, looking for reasons to beat the shit out of myself to truly loving myself. I went from 28 dysfunctional relationships to knowing how to be in and actually being in a very healthy, happy one. I've had numerous episodes of depression that were devastating to having really stable mental health for years. Now, I could go on with these facts and truth, but you get the point that I'm not going to be ruined. And even if I were, I would bounce back from that. So I'm living in fact and truth. What is amazing to me is that this level of stuff is suddenly coming up after eight fucking years in recovery. Well, a ton of shit had already come up. My first couple of years in recovery were fucking brutal, and I thought I had dealt with the gigantic bulk of it. You know, maybe I have. I don't know. But I can see that there is so much more work to do, especially with the buried feelings that need to be processed. Feelings work is some of the most important work we do in recovery because most of us are drinking and drugging and gambling, et cetera, because we don't want to feel the damn feelings because it wasn't safe to feel them when we were little. 
And because we weren't fucking protected or nurtured and we weren't taught how to deal with them, we were taught to repress them. So when they come up as adults, we feel like we're going to die. Earlier in my recovery, I realized that I'd done a lot of pushing down of feelings. And eventually, through the process of recovery, my feelings got to be more right-sized. I also learned in recovery that it was the resistance of those feelings that was the largest part of the problem for me. The actual feelings weren't really that bad because they dissipate pretty quickly. Feelings are energy in motion, emotion, and all energy morphs and changes. That is the nature of energy. It doesn't stay the same. But we're afraid if I feel this feeling, I'm going to live in it forever. Like if I start crying, I'm never going to stop. And that is not what happens. But somehow I needed to relearn this lesson. And a couple of months ago, I had about a six-week period of time where I was having some serious fucking feelings. And probably about a dozen times during this period, I literally laid down on the floor of my kitchen so that I could splay myself out. And I literally said, all right, universe, bring it. Bring those feelings. And a few of those times, I actually got to the point where I had dry heaves. But here's what's really interesting. The feelings lasted for maybe like seven to 15 seconds. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? All that drama for seven to 15 seconds when I just let it happen? Now, the reason I laid down on the floor and splayed myself out was to physically submit, to make sure there was zero resistance in my body, no tension, no resistance at all. I did this because I felt like I had to, but it was a demonstration physically to the universe. I'm not resisting. I'm literally fucking letting go to the level that I am capable of with my physical body. This showed the universe evidence that I'm submitting physically, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. And let me tell you, wow, holy shit. The changes have been absolutely tremendous internally and externally. I'm out of the several-month period of difficulty where I had a day-to-day struggle and continually had to process my feelings. The level of fear I had for probably three months is so shallow now compared to the depths of fear I was in back then. I've gotten to know these inner parts of me that have revealed so many things that I wasn't aware of, much of which I didn't go into detail here about. I think I've been vulnerable enough on this podcast episode. And I'm sure there are some people who think I am fucking crazy from all the shit I'm talking about, but those people probably stopped listening already. Anyway, things have also really improved with my business. I'd say the bulk of the changes in my business have to do with the inner work I've done. But I've also done some strategic things with my business, and I've learned some very specific skills. And I don't think any of those would have been effective had I not done a lot of this inner work and cleaned up a lot of the gunk that was going on internally for me. 
Now, I share all this level of detail with you because I don't know how many people are sharing this kind of stuff. And I think that it's so unbelievably healing. I literally feel like my fucking DNA is changing. I am recasting the past. It's like I have a different past. So if you think that this kind of work might be for you, this reparenting work, I highly encourage you to check out Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families Fellowship. It is not just for people who are from alcoholic families. It's for people from any kind of dysfunction. And it's really a trauma recovery program where you reparent yourself and use the 12 steps to recover. I cannot recommend it enough. There's a link in the show notes to the fellowship website. All right, now to review the nine new methods I've learned for reparenting. One, consistent conscious contact with inner family members. Two, make small promises to my inner child and keep them. So this is like giving the allowance. I'm going to make conscious contact. We're going to play games. Number three, get a picture of your inner child or inner teenager to make conscious contact. Number four, find a safe place in your mind where you can go and feel safe with your inner family. Mine is the ice castle. Number five, Bring your inner critical parent there with you and see what happens. Number six, play with toys as a way to connect with your inner child and tap into the feelings or maybe crafts or listen to music, but something from back then to really connect with the inner child and the feelings they were having at the time. Number seven, Allow your inner child and or inner teenager to safely express their feelings and then soothe them and affirm them as they do that. Number eight, interact lovingly with your inner critical parent so they see if there's an inner loving parent present and are more likely to step aside than if you try to strong arm them into giving up their role. And number nine, feel the damn feelings. Stop resisting them and allow them to flow. And I promise you, they will dissipate. They will become right-sized. If you're ready to finally have an enjoyable, relaxing summer doing things you really want to do, instead of always following other people's agendas, I have some openings for private clients right now. If you are really tired of saying yes to things you really don't want to do and being overly accommodating to others, this is for you. It's time to start accommodating yourself. Maybe you're dissatisfied with your relationships and overwhelmed with all kinds of difficult feelings because of your interactions with others. If you'd like to get your life in order before the summer hits, go to barbchat.net and sign up for a free 30-minute call with me about my private coaching so we can get started right away. That way, you'll be done by summer. This is for people who are finally ready to make deep, lasting changes in their relationship patterns, including their relationships with themselves, their partners, family, friends, and colleagues. Go to barbchat.net. If you like this podcast, and I'm guessing you did or you wouldn't still be listening, then you're going to love the other things I have to offer. If you'd love pre-release podcast scripts and episodes before anyone else gets them, or 
If you'd love access to content from my private vault that I developed exclusively for my private clients, which is like having a work session with me without me actually being there, go to patreon.com slash higher power coaching. There are three tiers ranging from as low as $4 up to $24 a month. You'll also love my weekly newsletter, Friday Fragments, which has content very similar to the podcast. You can check it out at fridayfragments.news. That's fridayfragments.news. Please like and subscribe to my podcast on your favorite podcast outlet. I'd also love it if you'd leave a review, which you can do either in the show notes or on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find my podcast so they can get the benefits you've gotten from listening. If someone came to mind when you listened to this particular episode, please share it with them. And my favorite place to hang out on social media is Instagram. I'm at Higher Power Coaching. Please DM me there. I'd love to hear what you got from this episode. I run group and private coaching programs on building healthy boundaries. Whether you need help with boundaries in your personal, professional, or romantic life, I can help. Head on over to barbchat.net where you can hop onto my calendar for a free 30-minute Better Boundaries consultation. My ideal client is someone who is ripe for change. If that's you, I would love to work with you. My goal with all my work is to help you make lasting changes in your life like I've made deep lasting changes in my life. Remember, it's never too late to recover. No one is beyond hope and healing is possible. Thanks for listening.